Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hypothesis. Uh, today, we're going to talk about evolution. Yeah, evolution. I love this topic. I think this is like how we became friends through Pretty evolution. Pretty much, actually. Kind of like, <laughs> it's like all we talked about. It was like our favorite. We're not nerds, we swear, but it's it's i'm excited yeah, for this it's a good point yeah it is so like what is evolution you know i was trying to think of like what because i was like yeah i could look up a definition or i could try <laughs> using my brain no i did i kind of looked it up but i was thinking it's more like how organisms sort of change over time to adapt to the environment that they live in mm. so that they're best suited to live there and then i started thinking of like adapting and then i was like does behavioral adaptations is that like related to evolution or not? I don't know if you know the answer. And I kind of tried looking it up and then I just didn't really know. I think it can be, I think it's a bit of both. I think behavior yeah. adaptations can be either genetic or. That's learned. the thing. Yeah, that's, that's thing. what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, I was like, if it's a genetic adaptation, I was like, well, then, yeah, if it's like a genetic thing that changes your behavior, then it probably does count as evolution. And if not, then yeah. it doesn't. But I just thought that was something interesting when I was like thinking about that. Um, so, you know, when it comes from a, a genetic point perspective, because uh, obviously I love genetics. Well, evolution um, is a very It genetic is genetic. Thing. I think it's, yeah. it is. Yeah. It okay, is. Good, There's no I, denying it. <laughs> yeah. No, because, yeah. I don't know. There's different perspectives to things. But um, yeah. So basically the way it works is you have your DNA and, you know, you have a gene that codes for a protein that does a thing, which means that you can do something. <laughs> and if there's a change in that gene, and that means there's a change in that protein, maybe you can do a different thing, or maybe there'll be a change in your DNA. So you'll have more of that protein or less of that protein or whatever. And, you know, that has changes and like physical changes or maybe behavioral changes, like we kind of just said. Um, and so we think of evolution as increasing your fitness. And so being mm. fit <laughs> just means that uh, you're good at passing on your genes to the next generation it, yeah. in biological sense. <laughs> yeah, because that's definitely um, something that people get mixed up about evolution where they think it's, yeah. you know, you're just going to be, you're going to eventually evolve to be the strongest you can be or something yeah. like that. You know, they don't, you know, fitness is just about the ability to pass on your genes, which is yes. usually through living longer and reproducing more. Basically, so, yeah. yeah, exactly. Perfect. You summarized the whole thing. <laughs> we don't even need to say anymore. That literally is it. Um, and so when we think of evolution, we think of natural selection. That's the yeah. theory that we sort of live with, um, kind of proposed by Charles Darwin, but also Alfred Russell Wallace. Shout Poor out. fellow doesn't really get yeah, recognition that often. But it wasn't always natural selection that people thought sort of drove evolution. There was a good old Lamarck. Lamarckism, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I think of that word, all I think of is giraffe. And yeah, I don't here. know his exact theory, but all I can picture is a giraffe trying to eat, has a really short neck and it's like trying to eat a branch on a tree. Yeah, so, part, so yeah, yeah, that was part of his theory that essentially the reason the giraffe's neck was so long was because giraffes over time were reaching for higher and higher leaves on a tree. Yeah. And then, so their offspring would have longer Lock necks because necks. they were stretching their necks so much yeah, essentially it's because like, yeah i think that's what it was he he thought the more is. you used something the, exactly the, the it bigger is. it that's would what get it was yeah, yeah that's yeah. what it was the more if you like in this case use a longer neck that the longer neck is going to be passed down yeah um but yeah he had other fun theories didn't he <laughs> yeah, he did uh, he also thought so the quote is that he thought evolution was driven by an innate tendency towards greater and greater complexity. So for example, he thought if you were an animal that was trying really hard, you would become something really complex, like over time, you know, like an ape or a human, you know, because you're really, you're really just trying hard. Um, and if you didn't try so hard, you'd be a worm or something like that. Oh, um, poor worms at the bottom of the... Yeah, he put worms near the bottom of his tree and said that they essentially don't progress very fast so they're still worms but eventually they will be apes but they're just really really slow at becoming apes so oh uh, that's so uh you know it was a theory or not a theory maybe it made him feel better he was like you know what even if i'm having like a lazy day at least i'm not lazy enough to still be a worm <laughs> oh my god oh that's funny yeah so yeah so he sort of so that is actually it was um vertical 
his like idea was like you pass it on vertically all right this now this is me moving into something different but like that you evolve kind of from parent to offspring but darwin's idea was more passing it horizontal it's not passing it's like sort of horizontal so his tree instead of going like vertical from one step to the next it sort of branches off in different directions so yeah they had different ideas um and it's just they they were all good ideas it's also (laughs) important to point out in fairness that lamarck was before darwin's time and also some of his ideas did end up being quite close to the truth but people just sort of like to laugh at those ones that were pretty far off from the truth yeah, you know yeah at least he know. was trying exactly you know? he was no he was trying really hard he's <laughs> really hard yeah uh, so the thing about natural selection i remember learning this and being like this is so people need to know this they don't yeah that like oh a mutation so when you have mutation first of all it can either be like neutral doesn't do anything it can be good so it can be advantageous or it can be bad and the likelihood is that your mutation is going to be bad because you've been evolving for a really 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 long time well, not you, actually. That's actually another good point yeah. that I should mention here. Your genetics. <laughs> is that um, it's not. So the individual is the one that will get the mutation and pass it on. But it's not an individual that evolves. It's the population that evolves. So, that, so you, you mean the other way around? <laughs> no, I'm serious. No. Wait, the not. population? Evolves. The individual doesn't evolve. The indi- yeah. Oh, well, oh yeah. Over time, in terms of yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Over yeah, time. Species. Yeah. Oh, never mind. As in, so you're an yeah. individual, and you can't. <laughs> no, change I'm getting your mixed genes. up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll explain real quick. <laughs> <laughs> if you're an individual, you're born maybe with a mutation, but you can't evolve. Like your genes can't change. They're the way they are. But over time, your gene can be passed down in the gene pool, and so the whole gene pool changes and evolves over time. Yes. Yes. So that's the idea. Um, and selection as well. If people think like, oh, you select the best thing, like whatever, whoever has the, I don't know, can run the fastest or whatever. But selection is kind of picking the best of a bad bunch. <laughs> like it's, if you have the best mutation at that particular point in time out of all of those around you, like that's the ones that are selected for. Um, and so it's also kind of a thing of if you're the one that doesn't die, <laughs> you're selected for. Yeah. Like if you have a mutation that makes you maybe have more kids, I don't know, that's a pretty bad example, but more kids, then obviously you're going to pass on more genes as opposed to the fellow that, you know, can't have many kids and they don't pass on genes. So that's sort of the whole selection yeah. So, yeah, so idea. They, yeah, so the idea is like evolution in terms of what most people think of anyway, like yeah. like evolving into a new species, that's like on a group level. But mm-hmm. the actual individual process of evolution and mutation happens to individuals. That's sort of what yeah. I was saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah evolution happens but to it's not individuals, individ- but it affects groups. No, I would say it's a mutation happens to an individual. We but- can agree to disagree, because <laughs> otherwise we actually will just fight for it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll look it up That's after. True. We'll put a big disclaimer in the information, <laughs> in the little whatever information thing. Yeah. But I think I, like you can't, as a person, you can't evolve. No, like you, you can't change your No, genes. no, you're, you're, no, you have like, it evolves over time, but the changes happen in the individuals is all I was saying. Yeah. And yeah. those accumulate to then become an evolutionary change. Yes, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's Never all mind, I was guys. To say. Just, the fight didn't last yeah, that long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just to clarify, just for people yeah. who aren't yeah, because I actually aware. probably didn't explain it properly because I'm just like oh, da, 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 da. I, I think but, that that's a cleared up now anyway. Hopefully. Okay. Phew. Phew. And yeah, another thing is that evolution just happens. It's not really planned, um, and I think that's kind of something important to note um, that when you're evolving, you're not evolving to fit into a situation better that could happen in the future for example like if you're a bacteria and you want to be resistant to an antibiotic a mutation isn't like oh look there's antibiotic now let's become resistant it's that the mutation has already happened Mm -hmm. and you can only see it and it only becomes important when the antibiotic for example is present and so in that way it's sort of pre-adaptive so you're already adapted to this change in environment but it only becomes useful in a specific context. And that's something important to think about as well, is that you can have a mutation that's adaptive. For example, in this case, uh, in the presence of antibiotics, it's adaptive to be resistant. 
but maybe when the antibiotic isn't there, you actually don't grow as fast as the other bacteria that aren't resistant. Yeah. Um, we probably said this before, but that's just, it's just important to note when it comes to evolution that it's not like, like you already have that mutation and it's only showing when sort of the context changes, when your environment changes, that yeah. it's kind of really pulls through. And that's basically sort of natural selection, but we also have sexual selection. Um, and that's basically... Yeah. We talked about that a good bit in the first episode, I think. We did, but I just wanted yeah. to mention yeah, it's, it's it because it is important again. in yeah. evolution. Yeah. Like the ones I think we mentioned about, you know, maybe like a peacock with the feathers. Yeah. So just in case people forget, you know, they have like the big flashy feathers because it makes them more likely to mate because the females see it and they're like, damn, I like those feathers. <laughs> and then, you know, the other only bad thing about that is that now because he has big flashy feathers, he's more visible to predators, for example. And then he could get in. So you need to find kind of a balance. You know, yeah. you need to be able to reproduce by making yourself attractive, <laughs> but also not being killed. Yeah, so, and, and the big problem that Darwin had with sexual selection was he didn't understand why, you know, certain things would evolve to like become attractive even. So mm. then there's all these other theories um, as to why that could be. One of them is, I definitely mentioned this in the first episode, but uh, just to tie it back, uh, to have his handicap principle, which said that, you know, if this, you know, creature can have this big fluffy tail or whatever it is that makes it so susceptible to predators, he must be really strong in other ways. So that means he has yeah. good genes. So that's yeah. why things are attractive, potentially. You know, so it's not just because it looks nice. There's a reason we think it looks yeah. nice because it indicates yes. something else. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that is a good point to bring up there. Um, and so, like I was saying, you know, the gene pool changes and that's how it evolves. Like you can have a gene that sometimes a gene will appear and it could be, you know, advantageous. And then it's just randomly lost. Like things like that happen. There's just genetic drift where, you know, some genes are there, some genes aren't passed down. It just happens. Things can happen if say, you know, there's, there's this thing called the founder effect. So it's like, if you have a small population that maybe, I don't know, end up in an island, um, they can evolve and change, but they're going to have different genes there like that were in that island at that island then on the mainland and so yeah. you just have all these different ways of selection and just kind of by chance this th these things happen and i just wanted to mention this here um i don't really know how it ties i didn't know where to tie it in so it's like i'm just gonna put it in here <laughs> so uh, the way you get you know a gene from mom a gene from dad and so if you have you can have say for example the same gene for example for eye color you can have a blue and a blue or you could have a blue and a green and if you have a blue and a green they're two different genes even though they code for the same thing eye, eye color they're different and so that's called a heterozygote so you have two different ones and sometimes that's advantageous um, and you can see this sort of evolution where you can have genes that potentially would be bad if you had two of the same but when you have a mix of a good and a bad it's actually better than having two good ones um, and so sort of the big example of this is sickle cell anemia I think anyone yeah. that studies any sort of biology will know about that uh, so just in case people don't know sickle cell is basically a, a blood disorder where your blood your red blood cells excuse me are the wrong shape they kind of look like a, their sickle shape they look like a half moon kind of ish mm. um, and they basically just can't carry oxygen as well but um, if you have two sickle cell genes then you have sickle cell anemia and that's pretty bad. And if you have two normal ones, then you're normal and you're grand, but you're actually more susceptible to malaria if you have two normal genes. Hmm. Um, whereas if you have one sickle cell gene, one normal, then you're more resistant. And so you see in places where there's lots of malaria that most of the people will be heterozygous as opposed to having two good ones, which is really interesting because then in other parts of the world where there's no malaria, then you'll have two normal ones. And mm. it's just kind of to show how, again, the mutation can be advantageous or disadvantageous in different contexts. And that's just something that I thought was kind of interesting, but I just wanted to mention it because yeah. I think it's cool. Um, but, and I think when you were yeah. talking about the founder effect and the antibiotics and stuff, another thing that came to mind for me was the concept of bottlenecks. So, oh, yeah. So a an evolutionary bottleneck is when you have essentially a population is reduced at least in mm -hmm. some somewhere to like a really small number so that population will have a big impact on what the future is so for example if you had um 
let's say some bird species where they could be red, green, or blue. And you had some storm that blew a load of birds towards a new island where they never were before, but the only ones that got blown away just happened to be red ones. Then yeah. all the birds that you know grow up on that island are going to be red so they might yeah. start a whole new that's, that's the, the founder whole, effect. Uh, yeah that's the founder effect the, exactly the, bottle, but, the bottleneck one is like if all the red ones died <laughs> in yeah. that accident then all that would be left is blue and the green. other one yeah 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 so it's a, sort so, of a mixture of those two things and the same exactly. with antibiotic resistance some of the the problem with that is is that if you keep taking antibiotics when you don't need them for example you're just gonna wipe out all the bacteria that don't have resistance genes and you're yeah. actually going to create an environment where the only way bacteria can live inside you is if they're antibiotic resistant. So then mm -hmm. that's not a good place to be because you want to have exactly. lots of bacteria in you that aren't antibiotic resistant. So they'll take over and whenever you need to can take antibiotics and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so, just want to throw that in there. <laughs> no, that is very good points to mention. I think I'm kind of done with that sort of little introduction part. Yeah. Um, um, I so guess I can go to the first thing I want to mention. So yeah, I wasn't going to talk about too much like bacteria molecular stuff, but then I just went on that mini rant, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the first thing I want to sort of talk about is this idea of aposematic signaling, which essentially means like poison signaling. So you know how you can look at some animals and you just know that that's poisonous. Like the, the classic examples are like the poison dart frogs, um, monarch butterflies. They have these really bright, usually like orange or yellow like the yellow and black yeah yellow like and black is a good combination wasps yeah. or whatever yeah so all those colors indicate Bad. either toxic or like i will hurt you um yeah. so it's it's seen as a form of mutualism which means it's a like evolutionary Beneficial. thing that yeah that benefits more than one species because it actually benefits both the species that is signaling and any potential predator so for example yeah the monarch butterfly, which is poisonous to eat for birds, um, it's beneficial both for the bird and for the butterfly to show that it's poisonous. The butterfly, if it shows it's poisonous, it won't get eaten. The bird, if it sees that, oh, that's obviously poisonous, it won't yeah. accidentally eat it and then throw up, um, which yeah. is usually what happens when the bird would eat a toxic butterfly. So it'll mm -hmm. lose all its meal that it got over the last however many hours, and uh, that's not fun. No, so, it's not enjoyable. <laughs> So the thing is, this signal has to be quite strong, which is why you have these, you know, really, bright you know, colors. bright colors that you wouldn't usually see anywhere else. In fact, a lot of the time they stand out from the rest of the environment. Like in the poison dart frogs, you have this mostly green forest and suddenly this spot of bright red. So yeah. these predators that can actually really easily see it know, okay, do not go near <laughs> that thing. And actually, it's funny yeah. that, that those colors are also, you know, over time, it's evolved to have colors that are easily seen both during day and night so mm. it's certain wavelengths of light that are always pretty easily seen which is cool yeah, um, and actually there's other types of aposematic signals which i only learned recently and um, there are some animals that make sounds um like there are tiger moths which make like ultrasonic noises which tell bats i'm poisonous because bats Do you can't give obviously us see an example of an ultrasonic noise? <laughs> <laughs> okay here's an ultrasonic noise <laughs> You could only hear that if you were a bat. So um, <laughs> let me know what you think of my ultrasonic noise later. Uh, so then there's other signals like uh, smells, which people might be familiar with if they've ever had an encounter with skunks. Uh, yeah. That's also a signal to say, do not come near me. This will Are they poisonous? You. Or is it just uh, that not poisonous. Like, it's, 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 signaling, it's not just for poison. It's also for like, I will attack you or I will do something to you that okay. you don't want to happen. <laughs> um, okay. And actually the pattern on, on skunks and honey badgers, the black and white. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Is also a, a pattern to show I am aggressive. Yeah, so, that's true. Actually, you know, yeah. you're gonna have to you have to pull up a fight if you want to eat me. Um, so then, the what's related to aposematic signaling is this idea of convergent evolution, which is, mm -hmm. um, which is basically convergent evolution means that two different species have evolved to look the same in a way, or to be the same yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So um, even though they could be completely distantly related, they mightn't yeah. have a lot of it, genes in common specifically. Mm -hmm. A lot of the genes they have will have similar functions. So therefore they might appear like yeah. they looked exactly the same. They could be on like different sides of the world, kind of same habitat maybe, and exactly. that are kind of pushed for selection of 
similar features yeah so if you're living in a habitat that's very similar to something that's on the other side of the world you might over time develop just the same features um which is something that really shows the power of evolution that it is you know eventually going towards a niche like it is a random process but over time it does fit a niche exactly yeah that is important to know um so this idea of convergent evolution um it can also be um explained by mimicry so you sometimes have animals that look the same because they're actually trying to mimic them well when i say trying to mimic them i mean like evolution over time has yeah you know it's not like they're consciously like right i'm gonna try to be like him <laughs> it's they found that over time their genes were passed on more yeah than when they mimicked yeah um, that's mad that actually i still can't fully understand how that works like i get it you just don't get eaten or you do get eaten if you yeah. look like them but like <laughs> but it's still, still amazing to think that yeah. at such a high level that that's happening yeah yeah and it kind of happens in cycles does it happen in cycles kind of yeah as well? so i'm gonna get a little Which bit means, into that yeah. um, so so why would you want to mimic another species so mm. a perfect example is this aposomatic these poison poison signaling if you look like a poisonous creature you're not going to get eaten essentially is the idea behind that yeah uh, so, so you have some species that are perfectly edible, but they still have these aposematic signals, this like bright yellow or bright orange. Uh, those species are called Batesian mimics. I'm just going to call them like fakes or frauds because that's too hard to say. <laughs> uh, like fake poison. Anyway, um, but not all mimics are trying to deceive. Sometimes poisonous species will actually share the same aposematic signals so that predator species can learn them quicker. So for example, a poison butterfly might over time evolve to have the same kind of color pattern as a poison frog, because if they have the same pattern, once the bird learns that color is poison, it won't touch the butterfly or the frog. So it helps them both. No way. I didn't know that. Yeah. So so that's why you have a lot of poison animals actually have a quite similar color scheme because because then they have to teach. Oh yeah. They only need to learn one thing. Yeah, exactly. So for example, if a bird is eating these things, it takes a while for a bird to realize a certain color is what it eats when it gets sick. Mm -hmm. Um, and it'll take even longer for that to happen. You know, if those animals are rare, but if you've loads of poisonous creatures, signals as well. Exactly. Um, so yeah. So if they're sharing the same signals, this is called malarian, um, mimicry where they're trying to have the same because it benefits them both and they're both genuinely poisonous so the amount of truly poisonous mimics versus the ones that are not actually poisonous they're just trying to look poisonous that determines how successful those signals actually are because the more fake ones that are around the harder it is for the predator like the bird to actually learn that this is poison because mm-hmm. imagine you had a ratio of 50 50 which is extreme yeah. but let's say half of the poisonous looking creatures are actually poisonous and the other half are not. Then if you're a young bird, you eat a yellow creature for the first time and it's not poison, you're going to learn, okay, so I can eat that. Then the next one you eat might be poisonous. So it takes a lot longer for them to learn. Actually, I probably shouldn't eat these because half the time they're poisonous. These fakes actually really hurt the poison signaling idea because they make it much harder to learn for birds Mm -hmm. and for other predators. Uh, so the actual poisonous creatures really don't like these fakes around. Um, so there's, so someone might ask, like, why doesn't every poisonous species, you know, share the same signal? Because I said yeah. how a lot of them sort of share an, a signal. Why did they not all eventually have the one color? Um, and the main reason, again, is these fake mimics, because they would easily just all evolve to have that color yeah. too. And then you'd never be able to tell the difference. So you have this really dynamic change where over time the actual poisonous ones are trying to change their signals to say okay now that the fakes have hijacked yellow i'm going to be orange for example um so then they teach the birds that orange is now the poisonous color but then over time evolution takes a long time but the fakes (laughs) will catch up and they'll turn orange yeah um and then it keeps going in these waves of like the the actual poisonous ones versus the mimics that are playing catch up and so it's something that it's an evolution that happens constantly. So it's not like evolution is this thing of the past. Evolution yeah. is happening all the time, even when and it's not always towards a certain goal. The goal yeah. here is just to be seen as not poisonous. Not be a worm. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, the, the goal here is to just not be seen as poisonous. So they can actually go back to a color that their species might have been thousands of years ago. Yeah. And 
someone like Lamarck might say that that's not progress because progress has to be vertical. But mm -hmm. once you learn about what Darwin thought and what evolution really is, you realize that things can go backwards too, if that's what fits the situation better. Yeah. Um, because it's not really going but, backwards. It's just going. Yeah, that's yeah. also on the tree. If you're like, because I'm like visualizing a tree, you're not going backwards yeah. on the tree. It's not like you're getting, no. you're just evolving again to something mm. that you actually already were. Yeah. So, yeah. Exactly. Or, or a similar look anyway. You mightn't actually be the same genetically, but you're going to have similar yeah. effects. Uh, so, yeah, there's a so called um, halo of protection um, mm. for these mimics, which means like, how close you are to looking like the actual poisonous creature. So if you have the poisonous monarch butterfly, for example, and it's this orange and black, and then you have this other butterfly that's orange and black, but a slightly different pattern, as long as it's yeah. close enough, you're going to be in this thing called the halo of protection where the bird is going to say, well, that looks like a monarch butterfly. I'm not going to eat mm. that. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, there can, there's also evolution, of course, in the predators. So the birds can, over time, if these mimics are everywhere, there might be some evolutionary pressure for the birds to learn to distinguish differences. So over time, birds can get better at better at picking up specific patterns and say, yeah. okay, that one looks like a mimic, but I know that mm -hmm. because it has this spot here, yeah. you know, it's, it's poisonous or it's not poisonous, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it's just a really dynamic process. They're constantly evolving and... Yeah. And yeah, it's not a conscious thing. It's just their genes yeah. are... And I think that that's like happen. a good example of what we were saying about selection just being like the best in that kind of situation because it's whatever of those mimics looks most like the po poisonous ones that are going to not be eaten and they'll be able to pass on their genes. Whereas the ones that don't look like the poisonous ones will get eaten. So yeah. it's just that sort of thing of like yeah. kind of random lottery and then, you know, yeah. what situation you end up in. Yeah, essentially, the less you get eaten in a lot of evolutionary things, yeah. the more you're going to pass on your genes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Gonna be. Um, so then you also have these things called auto-mimics. So sometimes you have, let's say, the monarch butterfly again, which is a poisonous butterfly, but not all of them are poisonous, all the individuals, because they're not actually born poisonous. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so when I'm they're... remembering all these things. <laughs> yeah. um, so when they're larvae, so they're like, you know, caterpillars or whatever, they eat milkweed, which is a plant that gives them poison that, that yeah. they then have when they're monarch butterflies. So what happens if the parents don't find a milkweed plant or are too lazy to find a milkweed plant, <laughs> let's say, and they just lay their larvae on a random plant? What's going to happen is their children are going to look like the rest of their poisonous counterparts. Mm -hmm but they're not going to have grown up eating milkweed, so they won't actually be poisonous. So even yeah. within a species, you can have mimics that are actually messing up the whole system for everyone. Yeah. So I think that's also a really good um, thing to show that evolution is not about benefiting the whole species. It's about benefiting the individual. That's a selfish thing to do to, yeah. because the whole species is being let down by you not being poisonous. I'm sorry, but it Ouch. is. You're a fraud. <laughs> he likes looking into my eyes, telling me I'm not good enough, and I'm a disappointment. I don't uh, need this right now. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, just because of their parents, those butterflies are going to grow up frauds. Uh, it's a it's a desperate thing, but but that's just it. Uh, and then the so last harsh. thing I, I want to say about uh, this poison signal thing, it's, I found this really interesting uh, fact where Darwin was re really confused by, you know this idea of like the bright colored creatures because yeah. um, he, he originally thought again Darwin was a bit annoyed about sexual selection he didn't really understand it I mean he came up with pretty much everything we know about evolution so fair enough you don't understand yeah. one tiny aspect <laughs> um we'll let you away with that one so he thought every time he saw these bright colors oh it must be a mating thing it must just make them more attractive that was mm -hmm. his simple explanation yeah. but then he got really confused when he saw these caterpillars that were these bright colors because why would it make sense for the caterpillars to be a bright color because they don't actually reproduce until they're butterflies yeah so it can't be a sexual attraction thing so he actually wrote to alfred russell wallace who's also credited with evolution but not to the same extent yeah. and said hey do you know what's going on here i'm very confused essentially <laughs> and alfred russell wallace uh, wrote back and said um i think a lot of these caterpillars and other creatures that have these bright colors are either poisonous or have a really nasty taste and they're signaling that through their bright colors.
So it was actually Alfred Russell Wallace who he got that one. So that's a, that's a point for him over Darwin, which you don't hear too often. So <laughs> one to Alfred, sixty <laughs> one. to Darwin. <laughs> yeah, I just, no, they actually they they came up with basically the same ideas. Yeah, um, well, I just I don't know why he why Darwin got credited more. I just I think I one of the reasons actually before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, yeah Darwin. One of the big differences was Darwin said that yeah. humans were part of this tree of life that included animals, that we were just mm. another animal. Whereas yeah. Alfred Russell Wallace, even though he believed essentially all the same things as Darwin about evolution, mm. he thought that we were immune to that. He thought we were the one species that was different, okay. that we were special, that we were, right. you know. Yeah. I, I think part of it could be, you know, maybe he was religious or something like that, but Darwin was the one who really got the closest by saying, no, we're just another part of the tree of life. So, mm. uh, Good on you, Darwin. Sorry, guys. That's why we that's why we talk about you more. Sorry, Russell. But that's Aww. just the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, so yeah, is but, there? Uh, yeah, is I was just thinking. You yeah, when you were talking about you know different species being, um, you know, some poisonous, some not poisonous, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I remember when we were studying this, we were like, what is a species? We spent so oh long, so many years. That's, it's the we're most so sad. annoying I I still don't know the answer. Like one of the main things I learned from it's all made up. That's the answer. Yeah, that's exactly that's that's the main thing I learned from speciation is it's all made up. I was about to curse there. Okay, good thing I didn't <laughs> explicit. <laughs> but um, yeah, basically, you know, we learn about species and whatever. We're Homo sapiens, and they're whatever they are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's all made up. We made it up. Like we just put them in different categories according to whatever we wanted. And like, that's kind, it's kind of frustrating. Um, but mm. it's also, it's interesting. But it's also useful, you know. In it a way, is useful. And that's them. the thing. Yeah. So it's kind of really blurry between what's a species, you know, you can have subspecies, you can have sister species. What actually makes you a species that's separate from another one? Like, is it just like you're saying there's maybe blue birds and red birds but is it just that you have different color like or is it that you're completely different like it's just it's really controversial mm. as well that's something yes. that like I was looking into um like there's this one sort of fact I suppose if we're gonna fun fact that blue tits from Ireland and France are more genetically different than human and chimps even though we wow. would clearly say human and chimps are completely different species, they, for Bluetooth, were like, oh no, they're the same, even though they're more different. So there's just, there's lots of different ways of like classifying species um, and they are useful, like you were saying, for, but it depends mm. on the context. So I was yes. just going to run through some of them because they're yeah, just- Yeah, please do. Yeah. yeah, and we can, we, can, we can rate them, like which one is the best because I still <laughs> haven't decided. <laughs> I'm obviously going to pick genetics as being the best, oh, and, you know, but it's- Anyways, it's controversial. So one of the first ones is the biological or isolation species concept. And it's basically, if you can interbreed, you're the same species. And if you don't interbreed, then you're not. And it's not just actually interbreeding. It's if you potentially could. Yeah. So they don't have to actually be doing it in this for this one to be to be the same species but if they could then they are but the thing is then you get these things like for example a lion and a tiger you know you can get them to mate and you get a hybrid that they call a liger <laughs> lovely yeah. but the males actually the males are infertile so they actually mm. can't reproduce so one of the things about I suppose hybrids is that they are not a species unless they, you know, unless they, they can, can reproduce, reproduce themselves. Yeah. So yeah, the same like zebra and a horse. I mean, I personally would say they're different species, but you can breed them together and you get a zebroid. I don't know where that name came from, but anyways, <laughs> um, but they can't breed with either of their parent species. So it's just sort of it's a blurry line. I I yeah. personally, if I'm going to breed this with one, each other. Can, can I don't know. Uh, listen, I tried yeah. looking it up. I'm not smart. <laughs> I can't Google. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't really know if I write this one, but um, 
it's it's an interesting thing to think about. It doesn't work, you see, for like asexual organisms. Yeah. For fossils, not you know, for island species, like if you have a bird on one island, it could potentially breed with a bird on the mainland, but they're never going to have the opportunity to. Yeah. So like, then does okay, it count as a different species because it never yeah, actually could in reality? Exactly. Yeah. And then you bring it into the lab, and you're like, okay, off you go. But then maybe it won't in the lab, or maybe you know, it's just. It gets messy. And the other thing is that sometimes there are species that we're clearly like, they're different, you know, like a wolf and a coyote. Like we're like, yeah, okay, grand different species, but (laughs) like they can interbreed and they do sometimes and Mm. their offspring are fertile. So it's just, Mm. I don't know. So that one is one that I'm like, "Ah, maybe. Then there's the evolutionary species concept. So that's if you come from the same ancestor, so I would kind of, I would go with this one. If you are from the same ancestor and you've gone along the same branches of the tree, then you are the same species. Would hmm. you agree with that one or not really? Uh, yeah, that's, that I think seems so. to make some sense to me. Yeah. The only thing is you need to know about the history of the species. Like where yeah, they you came need from a lot of stuff. info. Yeah. Yeah. And the other but thing is... But we do have quite a lot of that stuff now. Yeah. But like, what's the difference between then the sister species and the subspecies? Mm. And I'm just going to try explain because I'm not going to lie. I don't fully understand what those terms mean because I understand that like, you know, but if you're a species, okay, we're actually, we're trying to explain what a species is, but a sister species is like when you're on the branch, like at the very, very end of the branch, if it kind of splits in two, then you're yeah. a sister species and a subspecies. I don't know. It's, <laughs> to me, <laughs> to me, it sounds like, you keep going on the branch and it's just a little subset within yeah, that yeah. branch. I think so. Um, but yeah, sorry. Go. <laughs> but yeah, that's my understanding of it. Then there's the recognition species concept. I actually like this one. I don't know if I agree with it, but I actually like it. It's, it's, um, I think I vaguely remember this one as like being, yeah, go on, explain so it. Anyway. Your separate species, uh, depending on your fertility systems and if they, work together or not so that can be like the physical aspects of it your morphology like do all the bits fit together do the behaviors fit together for example some um species need like massive groups for mating like you need lots of other them around others they don't um a fun example actually of that is flamingos you need actually a huge number of flamingos for mating to actually take place and sometimes in zoos i think they put up mirrors yeah around mating season so it looks like there's more birds um, i think that's so sad every time i yeah, think about it actually is really sad like, like they, there's yeah. not enough of them to mate so if they want baby flamingos they need to pretend that there's more of them and they do that by putting up mirrors i wonder um, if they ever look in the mirror and they're like wait that one looks yeah. just like me <laughs> yeah they probably don't sure if they never see themselves yeah. well, oh. in the water surely they do maybe. yeah well True. it depends how clean the water is anyway <laughs> we, we'll we'll spend another episode discussing flamingo mating behavior if that's what the people want <laughs> um but yeah and also sort of biochemically like you know will everything fit together so that one, I, I think that one kind of does make sense. And yeah, that's not the, the one species... I was thinking of, by the way. Oh, right. <laughs> I was okay. getting very mixed up. <laughs> if the species as well, they if they actually recognize each other physically, that's kind of important as well. Like if yeah. you don't recognize this person as something you can make with, then obviously you're probably different species. Yeah. And this actually could kind of work for like fossils and island species because you can kind of tell like, would these bits fit together? Would it kind of, you know? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't work again for asexual organisms. Yeah, and it doesn't always work for fossils either, because just because things fit together yes, doesn't always mean that's true. That that's true. Biochemically, as you said, like the sperm will actually interact with that yeah. egg and, and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But it's also kind of hard for us to tell, like how different is too different. It's kind of we just make yeah. it up again. We're just really good at making stuff up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's the morphological uh, species concept. So this one is kind of the most used. It's basically like, do you look the same? That's the one I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's like, yeah. that's probably the blue tip one. It's like the yeah, Irish blue like, tip oh, and the French blue tip. So they look similar. the same. They're obviously just the same co- species. Yeah. So then yeah. when I was talking about convergent evolution earlier, that's the thing. They could be genetically really different, but because mm-hmm. the genes that they have that code for the things that we can easily, easily see might yeah. be similar genes, then that's just enough for us to say, oh, same thing. Even yeah. though they might be so different. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And that's, it's, this one kind of bugs me because yeah, and it's also kind of comes back to the convergent evolution of how you can kind of end up looking like, looking the same, even though you came from completely different lineages and 
Mm. You're completely different. But the other thing is that you could have something that is the same species that looks different if you have a little polymorphism. Like if we're going to bird colors, you know, you can have a red parrot and a green parrot and they might look completely different. So you're like, hey, different species, but they actually are the same. Um, same with like ladybirds you can have ladybirds with I was going <laughs> I made me think of Madagascar because like you know zebras having white white stripes or black stripes but you can have ladybirds with white spots no not white spots red spots or black spots yeah or like the other or like you know a black background or a red background anyways they basically look different but they actually are the same and so mm. it's just it's really really hard to know um, and that's just yeah I, that one I don't know I, it's important I think to think I would I think that was my... more important than the past especially where yeah, we didn't exactly. know a lot of the biochemical stuff and genetic stuff where we just had to yeah. be like look that looks the same as that let's just say it's the same species oh <laughs> uh, that would be me I'd definitely do that it's just so lazy just be like yeah look just put that's, that's why you would be a worm I mean <laughs> I know <laughs> okay I'm a worm just I'll be with all the other worms uh, and then the best not the best Okay, it's the best concept, species concept. It's a genetic one. Yay. Um, no, if I actually, if I had to pick like my favorite, I don't think I would. Like I would, no, I would mix. I think mix I would. No, I would mix them. Oh yeah, that's really you what they do. have to mix them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the genetic one for sure. Morphological, yeah. And then maybe like lineage, sort of the evolutionary you one. You should probably explain what the genetic one is. Yeah, sorry, sorry. On. Okay. <laughs> so you can get genetic markers. So it's basically like, are the genes similar or not? So you can have genes that uh, code for the same things, but um, they can come from two very different backgrounds um, or like appear randomly. I'm going to bust out an example. That's not very, I mean, it's kind of complicated, but sure, it's the only one I can think of off the top of my head right now, uh, which is like a glycofreeze it's basically an sorry no it's an antifreeze glycoprotein it's basically an antifreeze protein in fish right mm. so fish that live in like really cold water zero degrees celsius and below and you don't want they don't want their blood to freeze and you have some up in the north some down in the south and they both produce this specific protein that came that arose independently in both and so mm. those genes are different and when we would like map them you can like map the genes you can have like a list well not a list well it's a sequence the code, essentially yeah, yeah yeah the code and you have it like lined up you can compare them and see are they similar or different and you can tell do they come from the same place or do they mm. arise independently and i actually didn't even need the example of the fish now, I, I, no, I think that's quite good because it shows but, that like yeah you don't yeah. even need the exact same code to have the same Protein exactly or the same and type so of protein. in that way you can kind of tell did they come from the same ancestor or not yeah. so you can see like okay this bird looks like this bird but by looking at the code you can see are the genes do they have the same sequence do they have different sequences how many mutations you can tell maybe they actually were they do come from the same ancestor but one branched off way earlier than the other one and this one evolved to look like you know whatever and so in that way you can use genetics and you know the way you hear those things being like oh humans and chimps share 90 whatever eight percent of their genes mm. or um there's also humans and mice share 95 percent of their genes and you're like what yeah. we look so different but it's when they say those phrases it's like genes when they're saying that they mean like okay we both share a gene for eye color we both share a gene for growing hair like that's what they yeah. mean by sharing genes it's not like it's the exact same sequence yeah so we didn't yeah. necessarily come from the same background um or from the same ancestor well we all did at some stage we all came from yeah. a worm <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so you can look at the differences um in sequences and that's basically sort of how they do it genetically hmm. but, but i think another interesting thing though about that whole like we're 95 with mice or whatever it yeah. is is to show just how few genes translate to changes that we can visually see. Like so many yes. genes encode for things that unless you're a biologist, you're not really going to think about. Like yeah. things that happen inside our cells that make us survive. Things that happen mm -hmm. that help our cells interact with each other. All True. those things are so common between so many species, but yeah. they don't make us look different. So it's not something we think yeah. about too much. Whereas mm -hmm. that tiny percentage, that 5% is enough to make, you know, someone looks like a human or a mess you know what i mean yeah. in, in a way as well obviously yeah. the sequence is a bit different too but 
mm. even in terms of the core amount of genes, there's just so many genes that encode for really essential processes throughout mm. life. Like we yeah. even share lots of genes with plants because yeah. their cells do a lot of similar things to our cells in some mm. ways. So. Yeah, and a really kind of important thing as well, if you're going to say that, I think is to say that even though we have the same genes, they can also be regulated differently. Exactly. Um, yes. So you can produce like more or less of something, um, for example, less hair <laughs> from human to chimps and things yeah. like that. So yeah, genetics, go study genetics, guys. <laughs> it's cool, I swear. Uh, but genetics, you know, it's not always the answer. Um, unfortunately, I, I will. I'll admit, I'll admit it. Not always Ooh. the answer, uh, which is why, you know, we need the combination. But for example, you have these kingfishers, right? There's a, a sacred kingfisher and a, a collared kingfisher. Also, when I first read the word collared, I was like, collar red. <laughs> and I was like, no, wait. <laughs> um, just how I to know that. But anyways, they look the same, pretty similar genetics, but the collared kingfishers stay in Indonesia to mate, whereas the sacred kingfishers migrates over 2000 kilometers to Australia every year to breed. And so I don't know, like I would be like, yeah, if their genetics are the same, you know, they are the same species, but they have very different behaviors mm. and you need to take that kind of thing into account as well. I know when like for me studying genetics, I look at a lot of molecular stuff like that's what I would never really think about behavior and, you know, how the full organism would interact with its surroundings and with other organisms. Like I'd just be looking at cells or whatever. So I think that is something important to think about uh, when you're trying to classify organisms into different species. Yeah. And then also like, how do you or like a bacteria into different species? <laughs> I don't know, even know. No, actually I don't think they do species. No, they, they do like serotypes and stuff like yeah, that, don't they? No, that's for viruses. Oh, oh sorry. That's viruses. Like, maybe maybe they do again. like strains or it's something. Strains. Yeah. 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 Oops. But so, yeah, it kind of just depends on the organism as well. So speciation kind of only works for animals, does it? I kind assume of, it does. Um, yeah. But I think it does. Because yeah, part of the reason for bacteria is because they do things like give each other oh, genes. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> uh, true. So that makes it much harder because you think, oh, these yeah, species yeah. are so different. And one of them goes, hey, here's a gene I do for this <laughs> thing. And you're like, what? You can't just... Never mind. And yeah. so uh, it gets confusing. So they yeah. don't do it. They don't even try for bacteria. So no. we try our best for animals, but as you can see, we're we can't still struggling. Even do that. We're still <laughs> yeah, we struggling. Can, literally can't. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, as well, is that when we're saying bacteria, bacteria can still evolve. Just because I was getting confused there a second. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They still evolve. It's just that the speciation thing is different. Like yes, classifying yes. them. Is In different. fact, they evolve um, much faster because they can do these things like sharing yeah. genes and. And also and because their like their turnover is like really fast yeah. compared to us. We yeah. take so long to reproduce compared to bacteria. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm always <laughs> saying that we take yeah. way too long. <laughs> that's why our species is going to die out okay uh but anyways on that note, uh, on that note <laughs> uh, how does speciation happen there's actually different ways for it to happen um i'll just run through them really quickly because yeah why not uh, there's allopatric speciation so that's if like a physical barrier occurs so for example there's an earthquake and the ground is split in half and you have like one group on one side and one group on the other and then they like evolve separately um that's a very simple kind of example and hmm. not very scientific but sure look i think it's easy to understand it can happen yeah it could happen um and that sort of comes back to the founder effect and the thing of like genetic yes. drift and the selection being different um on both sides of in my case my split land yeah like one side of the split might have more trees and the other one has more yeah. water so they're going to evolve different ways to deal with their environment yeah exactly yeah then you can have parapatric speciation and this is where there's not a hard border and you sort of have this like hybrid zone um and i was trying to look for a simple enough example and the best one i could find is grass growing which i was like yes plants because we always talk about animals we never talk about plants but um plants growing for example on like mine waste if you just have oh, like you just throw a heap in the middle of all the grass you just have a heap of mine waste that has loads of different minerals and like heavy metals and stuff and the only grass that can grow there is ones that are able to deal with that because plants actually aren't all able to deal with this you know all these different minerals and things and they can be toxic and so if you have a plant that is actually i don't know if the word is resistant but maybe like capable or like able of, to deal with that then mm. they can grow and they could you know only like over time only that kind of grass will grow there and they could eventually become its own species so it's when you have like a species kind of within another one oh no it's not 
it's when that barrier isn't fully there. Yes. <laughs> it's when the barrier isn't fully there. Because the next one, sympatric, that's where sympatric speciation is when you have one within a subset. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, that's a subset one of like a population within a population. For example, like you have a caterpillar that can eat maybe lettuce um, and it doesn't eat cabbage, for example. And then I will you're, eat. yeah. <laughs> do you, do you eat lettuce, Killian? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Okay, okay, I'll believe you. <laughs> but um, and then let's say you get one caterpillar that can evolve to eat cabbage, and then it won't eat lettuce anymore, uh, and then it can just you know become its own species, and they stop interbreeding. Um, and there's this thing actually. Oh yeah, part which, of the reason I remember this example. Part of the reason they would stop interbreeding is because they're just not on the same plant anymore. They don't interact yeah, with each other. Exactly. So it's all these again, like actual location and other factors that mm-hmm. aren't just molecular that come into yeah. account. Yeah. That we don't really think about that much yeah. and there's also this thing assortative mating which i think it's pretty cool it's pretty cool uh it's basically where you'll breed it with an organism that you look like so for example if you have a pink fish and a blue fish <laughs> the pink fish will only mate with other pink fish and the blue fish will only mate with other blue fish even though they're the exact same species. And I actually don't know why this happens. I'm sure I did know at some stage, but I forget now. But I just thought that that's a really cool concept. And maybe maybe speciation could happen from that. I don't know if it does. But yeah, for, I, I, think, I think that is something that can happen sometimes. Yeah, but genetics-wise, it's, it's actually pretty interesting because then you get this sort of really big divide where you have, you know, the pink fish will have specific like pink genes, whereas the blue fish... Did I say pink and blue? Well, they're pink and blue yeah. now. And then the blue yeah, fish yeah. will have really blue jeans and, you know, you won't really have a mix. And so, yeah, mm. that's just kind of something interesting as well that I bring up. And also, this is completely unrelated, but since we're talking about caterpillars, <laughs> I was just thinking that you can, the way they evolve is actually pretty cool that their offspring don't eat the same thing as the parents to yes, like reduce yeah. competition which i think mm. is really cool like the, the the caterpillars eat leaves or whatever and the butterflies eat well they like pollen no not pollen like the nectar from flowers yes, yeah, yeah. or something like that yeah so they never so, have to compete for the same food yeah you know, which kind of say sorry kid i'm taking this one yeah you know? which is really interesting yeah. for sort of a nice evolutionary tactic that i don't know lots of other animals don't really have it but uh mm. they do so just thought that was interesting that is interesting <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I was going to start talking about uh, host pathogen interactions and immunology and, you know, bringing it back away from the genetics and telling people that immunology is cooler. But I'm thinking this episode has probably been quite long already and we might yeah. do a part two. Um, yeah. Because it's, some, it's a topic we really like. And I think there's other things you were going to talk about too. Yeah. So uh, a part two would make sense. So stay tuned yeah. for evolution part two. Yeah, and sorry if it I... didn't make sense, guys. I, <laughs> I get carried away because I'm like, oh my God, Killian, you need to hear this. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, I yeah. really like this topic. Yeah, oh, we both love evolution. As we said, yeah. that's pretty much the reason we're friends. So yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, what was I going to say again? Oh, yeah, I noticed that a lot of the time we were like, yeah, we don't really think about these things, but blah, blah, blah. And I just want to clarify that we mean me, we as in me and Amandine, because scientists sometimes do, especially if you're a zoologist, which we are not. Oh, yeah. So, no. so zoology is a science that goes a lot into this whole evolution, speciation. Yeah. Um, like they're, they're the ones really trying to solve this problem of how do we classify things and all that. Me and yeah. Amandine are just, we're here looking at <laughs> genes and cells and stuff. And this sort of stuff is just like, whoa, there's people yeah. doing that. So uh, yeah. it's not like... We're not necessarily the best people to talk about, but this is just our perspective it's just something, on it. Yeah, yeah, and it's something that we always find really interesting. Like, I still yeah. am really fascinated by it, and even though I don't yeah. study it, I still want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people yeah. So need just, to hear just it. Just so it's you fun. know, in case it sounds like this is a whole area that's like, wow, no one's doing this. It's actually, it's just not us doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I yeah. think we'll, we'll sort of leave it at that. Yeah. Um, thanks for tuning thanks in. Yeah, thanks uh, for listening, everyone. Yeah, we'll see you next time with part two, maybe. Yeah, part two. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Bye. See ya.